Welcome to Seducing Aliveness. I am Jen Halterman, one of your hosts, and Tamara Yonker will be joining me shortly. Thank you for joining us today live, or if you're listening in the future, thank you for joining us whenever it is for you. Today we are going in and talking more about the elements of intimacy, and the question for today's show is, are you trying to be intimate without being vulnerable? There's a lot to talk about this, and the chat room is open. If you go to our show page on blogtalkradio.com forward slash seducing aliveness and go to the actual show, show number seven, scroll down on that page, and that's where the chat window is open, and you will be able to interact with Tamara and myself and anybody else that joins in there. And if you cannot be listening on your uh computer or whatever device and you want to get on the phone lines and listen there's plenty of room to listen in there and that number to call in on is 657-383-0531 oh i think we're ready to kick off this topic because it's been brewing for a while so welcome tamra good morning I'm hello <clears throat> attempt to not <sighs> talk this morning. Apparently that seems to be um what would it take for to be able to speak for the whole next hour and not cough? <laughs> oh yay, that's exciting to have that as a possibility <laughs> even. <laughs> right. <sighs> Definitely. <Okay. clears throat> So here's something that I don't know if you noticed it on other radio shows that you've done. I noticed it in the past, and it's already happening, and that is whatever the topic of the shows are, it starts showing up in my life. More and more and more. (laughs) I don't know if I just need more real-life examples or (laughs) if I – you know, that great law of attraction is making it happen or whatever you want to say it is. But, wow, let's get intimate and vulnerable because that's what I was expecting. I was telling you, like, well, there it is. There, Yep, there it is right there. <laughs> and as fun as it is to have juicy topics, I got to say, sometimes I just sit back and giggle when I realize, oh, what I was trying to figure out is this is just a show topic. Mhm. Were you going to ask a question? I thought I heard you talk. Uh, I was just thinking that, you know, it goes back to whatever you're putting attention on. And so, you know, we launched this series um, about intimacy, you know, vulnerability yesterday. And so it's almost like once that's kind of the seed is planted, then it, it, it at least for me the attention goes there quite naturally because it's kind of like okay we're going to talk about this for the next couple of weeks three weeks four weeks whatever yep and uh, and so so now everywhere that is showing up in my life my attention is immediately drawn to it where perhaps it might have just sort of dismissed it before and and shoved it into the background now it's almost like pulling all of that to the foreground so that we can play with it and um, live it. I had a conversation with a good friend of mine the other day, and we were kind of talking about how <clears throat> so many things, uh, you know, I get curious about. I've shared this before. I get curious about something, and then it'll be like uh, the, the knowledge or the, the information or whatever kind of starts to permeate into my, into my reality, into my awareness as just sort of knowledge and information. And it, it will be there for a while, and I'll be like, oh, hmm, that's not interesting. And, it, like, I will make the choice or not make the choice to actually engage with that knowledge or information in my life, like to actually take it on and plan. I said this the other day, like, I put on my lab coat, um, you know, take it into my laboratory, call my life, and start doing the experiment. So, so oftentimes the information will come in, but I may not choose to engage with it right away. The knowledge will come in, and it's sort of like conceptual. I'm like, oh, wow, yeah, that makes so much sense. Or, um, and then, then the choice becomes now, do I want to take it in? Do I want to engage with it? Do I want to test it out? Do I want to play with it in my life and make it experiential? Because I spent a lot of years in my life staying in the intellectual realm because that felt safe, and I've talked about this before. Um, so I think... You know, as soon as you start talking about uh, intimacy and vulnerability, 
to the degree that maybe we've just been playing with something uh, or, or just kind of holding it in that knowledge or information realm, it's like, okay, are we really going to take it in, play with it, experiment with it, mm-hmm. see what it creates in our lives? And I have been doing that for a long time. And there's always more. There's always more to right. explore. I love that. It keeps life exciting <laughs> and adventurous. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and as you were talking, I was like, well, it's just like, you know, I may go onto Amazon and search a product, but you know the algorithms now when I go back to Facebook or I go to Google or what it, those algorithms are saying, oh, you're interested in this here. Let me show you all of this. And that's mm-hmm. kind of like the algorithms of life. You know, I'm, I'm putting my mm. attention on this. I've chosen into this topic. I am diving into many different aspects of one topic. And so what I'm finding is all these opportunities as it pops up here and here and here and here. And, you know, and it's not all in support and it's not all in contradiction or, you know, to, in angst about it. It just is everywhere. And for me, I find that so entertaining. It's like, oh, yep, there it is. Oh, there it is again. Oh, look, there you are there. You know, <laughs> keeps things interesting, like you said. Mm. <laughs> so one of the things that I've been saying for a lot of years is that um, change requires vulnerability, requires vulnerability. Like you, you can't force your way into change unless you're willing to actually get into that space of vulnerability. <clears throat> and I've seen people yeah. a lot of times try and force change without getting vulnerable. And what it reminds me of is the energy of a rubber band. When you pull a rubber band, you pull it, pull it, put like you hold it, you know, between your left hand and your right hand, you pull that rubber band and eventually it gets to the point where it can't be uh, pulled any further and you let it go and it snaps back. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and to me, that's, that's what, it looks like when you're when you're trying to force change without actually getting vulnerable with what it is you're trying to change, um, and I have uh, confronted this in my world so many times, um, trying to force that change without really getting vulnerable with what it is that I'm looking to change. Um, I mean, there's so many ways we could talk about vulnerability, but that just kind of popped for me that. Um, we talked yesterday, we, we just started to talk yesterday about, about developing intimacy with ourselves and uh, the first step, I mean, if there's such a thing, the first step is is getting vulnerable. <clears throat> when, I, when I asked the question seven years ago, I realized I was pro- a professional, literally, if there's such a thing, I was a professional at lying to myself. I had become so good at it. I had two parents that are the king and queen of denial. And I talked yesterday about the right of delusion. And I literally had just created a whole fantasy about what was really um, going on in my life because it was easier to look at that than, than look at what was, what was real. So it was almost like I was living a mythology rather than what was, really, what was real. And I'd say a lot of people do that. They have a false concept of who they are in the world, <clears throat> um, how the world really is. You know, we see, we see the world through our filters, and, and I was really good at lying to myself in order to uphold all the stories and all the, the constructs that um, made me feel safe. Um, the thing is, what made me feel safe also kept me in a place of having to control everything in order to maintain that sense of safety. It was sort of like a, a, a <clears throat> revolving door that just went round and round and round and round. I have to control more to feel safe. And to feel safe, I have to control more. Mm-hmm. And so I got so good at lying to myself, and I asked the question, okay, I, I can't live this life anymore. I really got it. I was like, oh, this is a merry-go-round I want to get off. And so what's it going right. to take for me to know when I'm lying to myself because I had become so damn good at it? And and as right. soon as I asked that question, it's it's a little bit, bit of like, careful what you ask for, because as soon as, soon as I asked that question, then uh, the delusions started revealing themselves to me. And what I realized was if I didn't want to look at them, if I was just like, oh, no, can't go there, Mm -mm, I'm going to shove that one back in the closet, you know, lock that back up, I had to really get into me. Like that was was what came was, you know, what's it going to take for me to know when I'm lying to myself? The response was vulnerability. So it was the first step to get vulnerable enough to look at what I had been unwilling to look at, which I I thought was too scary, uh, which was too painful, uh, where I had been hiding, you know, in shame, all kinds of things. And so if I really wanted that change to occur that I was asking for, 
then I had to get intimate and vulnerable with myself to look at where I was lying to myself. And it's amazing how much we all lie to ourselves and and yes. actually believe that that is somehow protecting us from that which we don't want to feel. And what I came to discover is that this control thing that we all do, uh, many of us do, most of yes. us do, and mm-hmm. I was a control freak of magnitude, <laughs> The snow, the, so when I looked at you, know, I took it all the way down to the source of what was what was that about in my life? Because I'm I am a, an infinitely curious. Like I just my curiosity <laughs> knows no bounds. So when I get curious about something, I was like, what is this, all this control? Because I really realized how much of a control freak I was, and I was like, oh my god, like okay, is this really what I want to? Is this really how I want to live my life? And what I got was the sole purpose for my control was to ensure that I never had to feel what I decided was too terrifying or frightening to feel. The thing that I the thing or things that I was like, no, I never want to feel that again. That is too much. I, I won't be able to handle it. I'll I'll die if I have to feel that again or I'll be overwhelmed or I'll never get out of bed or whatever I think is going to occur if I feel that I'm going to create an entire con- control system and structure in my life to ensure that I never have to feel that. And I would be willing to bet that most people, when they create their, um, their whole you know, world of control, at the bottom of it, would you dig deep, it's really about what you don't want to feel. And so we're talking about yeah. vulnerability. We're talking about intimacy yeah. with self. And that's going to include looking at everything Oopsie. Right. <laughs> right. And, and that's what's so juicy about this. I, and for those of you who do not know, who have not listened to the other shows, we are going through this intimacy with ourselves first. We're, going, we're doing a few weeks of this because we really want to focus on this is about ourselves. We will go into how it relates in relationship with others in a few weeks. But right now, it's about looking at ourselves. And for, for myself, when I look at this and I think to myself, you know, so much of the world sees vulnerability as weakness and susceptible to physical or emotional harm and all of those things that, that people wall up against. Well, if I keep you out, you can't hurt me, then I won't hurt. And, and they don't realize that there is a cutting off of themselves in that process. And as I think about that and I think, why would I not be vulnerable with myself? Well, it's a very thing you were saying. I don't want to admit that I'm wrong. I don't want to admit that I'm a jerk. I don't want to acknowledge that I am inconsiderate to others or that I'm unkind or that I'm a superior bitch. Or I don't want to acknowledge that to myself. I like to pretend that I'm not those things. And, by the way, I'm going to keep these walls up so that anybody outside of me that wants to reflect to me or tell me that I'm that way also cannot get to me either. And it's that cutting off of ourselves that is what we use so we don't have to be vulnerable to that, to be, mm. to actually mm. experience that very thing. Yeah. And I, and yeah. I have found that um, in, in the willingness to feel these things that I never wanted to feel, uh, to okay. to look at what I didn't want to look at, what was keeping me um, uh, pleasantly, ignorantly in the mythology of what I wanted to, you know, the, the right of delusion. Um, as I have uh, made a commitment to myself to, to be open to receive these things, to feel these things, they're not nearly as scary as I think they are. It's so funny how we allow our, our thoughts to hold us hostage by thinking, oh, my God, I could never, and I just, you know, asked the question in the chat room, I'm curious, what have you decided you never want to feel again? And um, <clears throat> one of the ones for me that is, is still the, t- the stickiest that I, that I notice hides, it literally hides, <laughs> like, um, in, the, in, the, in the deepest recesses, is shame. And shame oh. is one of the most, the most, uh, toxic because it's like it's like where we we literally hold everywhere we've bought into an idea that we're wrong in some way and it's amazing yes you know you can be standing there as a child listening to a conversation that adults are having not you know you're just Mm -hmm. in the room you're not even participating and adults are having (laughs) some sort of conversation 
about something and then you make some sort of association with that relates to their conversation and yourself and you can you can go into the wrongness of you just like that. You yes. can hear I, I have a very specific um memory of uh, a very good friend of mine who was who's a guy saying about other women, not me, but you know, I'm a woman and he's talking about other women as gold diggers. And I remember yes. thinking in that moment, oh my God I must ensure that I am never a gold digger so that I won't lose love. Because this was one of my oh. best friends. And here's, he's talking in a very, very pejorative manner about, you know, those gold digger bitches and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, I made that decision immediately. <gasps> okay, I got to make sure I'm never that. So if you, if you right. create some sort of association, we talked a little bit about this yesterday where, um, people will use withdrawal of their affection, their love, their attention, their care as a way to manipulate. Um, if you create some sort of association in your little kid brain that if I be like that, I'm going to lose love, I'm going to lose care, I'm going to lose affection, I'm going to lose, then then you will like make you will be like, oh, I must never be that. And and yes. even if even if it's implied, you know, and and, and sometimes. There'll be comparisons, like, you know, why can't you be more like so and your sister? Or why can't it's amazing how quickly and how slippery slippery that ride into shame is, that wrongness about us in some way. I mean, another quick story is um my mother was a flight attendant for a little while and that's when she met my father. She was a flight attendant and she saved all her flight attendant uniforms and um you know she was like the teeniest thing on the planet when she was a she was a flight attendant. So like here we are as little girls and I can practically wear her flight attendant uniforms when I'm like 6 years old. You know what I mean? Like right. she, and yeah. she would she would talk about she you know she'd hold up the skirt that was probably a size 22 waist if that and she'd be like, "Oh yeah, this is what I what you know was wearing when I met your father." Uh, this little flight attendant uniform, and I, and in my little little girl brain, I'm looking at that, and I'm like, okay, well, that's the size you have to be to catch a man. Like, I'm making up this story. I'm making up this association, and I was like, oh, okay. And so then as I'm getting older, and I'm and my body's getting bigger than that, and so I can't wear her little tiny flight attendant uniform at the age of, you know, mm-hmm. 13 or something, and I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> oh, now I'm too, now my body's too big. Now body's, my body's right. too big. I could never catch a man. And and it's like these are the lies I'm talking about. These are the things that get stuck in our in our realities. And then I believe for the rest of my life that my body's too big to be attractive to a man, which is total horseshit. Except I'm actually right. believing that as if it's true because of something that occurred in my in my life when I was you know I don't know five years old or whatever. It's not real. But then I put all of these feelings of wrongness inside this shell of shame that that I never, ever want to look at because I don't want to feel how wrong I feel based on the lie that my body's too big to be attractive to men. And then I live out that lie for decades. Mm-hmm. Ouch. Like, what does that create? Mm-hmm. And if I'm not willing to do a little exploration and find out, you know, where am I lying to myself? Where have I created a whole mythology uh, that I'm living out? And that, and that thing, that, that, the thing is, it impacts our aliveness because it impacts our willingness to engage with life. It impacts yes. our relationship with ourselves and it impacts how we, how we engage with others and it impacts how we uh, engage and relate with life and it impacts our receiving this is this is like big yeah. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, really big stuff. And and that's so interesting because for so many people they say, well, I'll receive the good. I'm resisting the bad. I'm resisting the hard feedback. I'm resisting the whatever. Anything, you know, the projections that we've decided that are bad that somebody else has towards us, but what we don't understand is when we shut off vulnerability, we are saying no to all receiving. So even a compliment, you know, appreciation, we can't receive that either. And that's what vulnerability is so, it just opens all of that up. You know, we have so many places within ourselves where we put in these walls and say, nope, not going to receive there. 
Oh, nope, not going to receive there, not going to receive that, not going to receive that. Because we put, you know, maybe we had an ouch as a child. Like you said, maybe we misinterpreted something. But we had something that stung, that hurt us, that, that we went ouch. And instead of being curious about it or looking at it as that's what they believe, but I don't have to because we really, a lot of times we don't even know that's a possibility, we shut that off. And then when it comes back around as an adult, we have a tantrum that matches the age when that was implanted in our consciousness. We mm-hmm. respond as that child. And that to me is one of the, the most, um, I just think it's juicy. As a coach, one of the biggest things that I, I really hold space or give space or permission to is what is the tantrum that wants to come up around this issue that you are fighting like hell to prove is right? Because Mm. what I found is if people will give themselves permission to have that tantrum of that vulnerability and they will release that emotion or that expression, they will be so relieved that they usually, and I'd actually say like nine times out of ten, find the humor and the irony that they have been protecting something that a four-year-old would protect and that it no longer even applies to them. Yeah. So true. So true. And and it really, you know, what I'm aware of now is that it's like you've got, um, it's stuck in your nervous system. And, and what it's yeah. waiting for <laughs> is to be released. And so if we actually release it, it's, it's sort of like popping, the, it's like uh, breaking the spell, right? Like I, I went under a spell when I believed that my body had to be this size in order to be attracted to a man. It's like I put myself under a spell. And so when I, I remember the moment, when that spell was broken, I, I, I don't remember the, what was going on, or at, you know, like what I was thinking or how that spell became broken, but I was in bed and I literally had this moment where the spell was broken. I was like, oh my God, that's not true. Like that is not true. And the spell was broken. And the fascinating thing is that I had created a reality based on that as, as fact. So, so my world simply uh, yielded to that factual information and and you know like I constantly was engaging with men who was judging the size but the, the, the size and shape of my body constantly because that's what I believed to be true and the moment that spell was broken that reality ceased to exist and all of a sudden as if by magic out of the woodwork there were men everywhere who were ready to appreciate my body exactly as it is and I was like, right. wow, like, wow. And it's not the only, this is just a particular illustrative story that I'm sharing. There's been many, 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 many like that. But it blew my mind that that perception of my reality, that lie that I embedded in my world was so powerful as to shape my experience. And the moment that I broke the spell, and, and allowed something else to be possible, all of a sudden, guess what? The, the, the world flooded me with examples of how I was the one holding that possibility at bay. I was the one saying, no, 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 can't have that, can't receive that. It's not true. It's not possible. So it's amazing how when we're willing to be vulnerable with ourselves, like I said just a few minutes ago, vulnerability is uh, required for change. If you really want your reality to be different, if you want your experience to be different in some way, we talked about this, we alluded to this just a little bit yesterday, we are the ones who are holding a new possibility at bay. We, us. So, so instead of trying to change our external world, no, notice I didn't do a thing to change my external world. I changed something inside of my uh, my perspective, my point of view, a belief, I changed that and boom, everything in my reality changed because suddenly I was willing to receive something that moments, but you know, days before simply couldn't be true. It could not be true. Oh no, I'm not the right size for men to be attracted to me. It can't be true that someone, uh, right. you know, and then, and then break the spell and then suddenly the, my world responds to the new possibility and I am shown with total ease because now I'm willing to receive this as a possibility. It's like magic. It's like magic. 
So, so if you're wondering what's in it for me, why in the world would I want to play and explore and experiment with this thing called vulnerability, this is just one of probably hundreds of examples I could give you about how my aliveness <laughs> has come online, how my life has been turned on, how I have opened myself to receive um, when I get vulnerable with the thing that is so seems so terrifying and so scary that I could never look at, I could never let myself feel it. Um, it's uh, yeah, mind blowing. That's that's all I got to say. <laughs> it is mind blowing, and you know I I have the same passion as you because I can tell you from my own experience because I and that which is one of the things I love about we just come from such different life experiences is my experience was what was planted in my baby brain and my brain of use through, you know, religious beliefs that were in my surroundings was that being gay was bad and it was wrong. And I can, I still remember the moment that I heard overheard a conversation where a, a boy had killed himself and he was gay, and the comment that was said, because of religious beliefs, now mind you, I do not believe this, but somebody at the time said this, he's better off dead than gay. And I can remember mm. thinking, wow, good thing I'm not that. And <laughs> being horrified by it all and thinking, well, you know, that's not a possibility. It's so wrong, it's so bad, it's so all of this, that it's not even a possibility. Well, then I grow up, I go into the world and I drop all of my attachment to certain religious beliefs and I have my own, you know, point of view about the world and I've got friends who are gay and I don't see them as different or anything than that. Well, then I'm in a situation and I have that moment that literally shatters the lie I was living within. The lie that included three marriages and three divorces to men, the lie that included, I can't be gay. And in a moment, literally a vulnerability when somebody approached me and then walked away and that it was very innocent, that lie was shattered. And literally, like you said, it's in our nervous system. I went into shock, physical shock as my mind mm. went, Oh my God. I'm gay. <laughs> and it was literally, I mean, as I, I was a, thank God, I was surrounded by, by friends and people who loved me, and I was in a place where transformation was supported and encouraged. And one friend in particular, he went with me so that I could go get some physical support. I mean, I was in shock. I needed a shower because I, my body temperature went bonkers. I, we were trying to get my the shaking to calm down and my temperature to regulate all this stuff was going on. And I just looked at him and he, and he said, Jen, what I witnessed on your face happen just by you having an interaction with her, with this person, this woman is undeniable. Will you give yourself permission to be who you are? And it was in that moment that I collapsed. And I allowed myself the vulnerability of saying all of those lies, I'm, I'm letting go. And it was the strangest thing because I went up to this weekend away, this retreat, having made plans for a date the following weekend with a man that I had been seeing. I went up there completely, I would have told you, I'm a straight woman. I came back going, guess what, surprise I'm gay and I've been gay my whole life. I was lying to mm. myself. And there were people mm. that were surrounding me saying, Jen, how did you not see this? We knew you were gay all along. <laughs> but I had told them, what are you talking about? I'm not gay. Look at all these men that, you know, I date and I see. and other than... I was the one lying to myself. Other people saw mm. it. I did not. And I had never been able to lie to myself about that ever again. Even when I was approached by men that I love dearly and they're like, hey, do you want to see if we have something here or can go further? I'm like, yeah, no. I, I really love you. I care about you. No. Nope. 
because it was so clear for me. And it wasn't that I don't love men. It was that I realized my, my true vulnerability required that I drop all of those barriers of gender and everything and go, oh, this is actually my expression of love and this is my receiving of love that I have been trying to label and such. And it was just a liberation. It, it really was just a liberation, but I've never gone, been able to go back in and even pretend to believe that lie again. It was that mm-hmm. instantaneous. Yeah. Once the spell has been broken, you can't go back to the old mythology. <laughs> it's quite remarkable. <laughs> it really is. And it does require vulnerability. If I had not been willing to be truthful with myself, I could have made that conversation with that woman so wrong about her. I could have, you know, I could have chosen into being offended. I could have chosen into self-righteousness. I could have chosen into shutting myself off more and more to defend the mythology. I could have Mm -hmm. chosen that. But but the Mm -hmm. truth is, I was committed to finding out who the hell I was. And that's an aspect yeah. of who I choose to be and who I am in the world that was part of what I was asking to be shown. So I want to I wanna share with people what the Yabbats look like. <laughs> yes. Because Let's do. I, had, I had people try and tell me, so just going to stay in line with the, the story that I'm sharing about, you know, the size of my body and whatnot. Um, this this revelation about my body size not being the wrong wrong for men to be attracted to me was just within the last um, I don't know six years or something, and so prior to that time for we're talking many I was in my forties right so prior to that time twenties thirties teenage whatever people would try and tell me you know oh you you have a great body or you know whatever they would try and tell me and I couldn't hear it. It would just yabbat this, yabbat that, and and the biggest yabbat was that that hasn't been my experience. Mm. People would try and tell me, you know, they would try and share, oh well, you know, like they would they would share stories, they would share their points of view, they would try and affirm for me that my body was beautiful as it was, and that you know, oh, plenty of men must you know come after you or blah 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 blah, whatever they were trying to tell me. The biggest yabbat that came out of my mouth on a consistent basis was yabbat. That hasn't been my experience. And so right. what I'm doing when I say that, and people, I hear people say this all the time, yeah, but that hasn't been my experience. You know, somebody's sharing a possibility, and you go right to defend against that possibility and give it a big fuck you by saying, <laughs> yeah, but that hasn't been my experience. And what you're essentially doing is you are proving, you are, you are, you are edifying the truth of your story. You are defending that as as true. You're like, you know, argue for your limitations, and sure enough, they're yours. And I mean it. When you go, yeah, but that hasn't been my experience, you are holding at bay any other possibility. You are truly given a big fuck you to possibility. You're like, nope, I'm not having that. I'm keeping my story. And it is absolutely amazing how often and insidiously that particular yeah, but of yeah, but that hasn't been my experience will stop possibility and change dead in its tracks. So it's like, you know, what I started looking for in my world are these signals and signposts. There's all kinds of ways now that I recognize uh, signals and signposts occurring, and that's one of them. If I ever heard myself <laughs> saying, yeah, but that hasn't been my experience, I'm like, ooh, red flag, like, like uh, uh, you know, not dead yet alert going on <laughs> because, because that is going to, that is going to stop my aliveness dead in my tracks the moment i start fighting for the limitation i know i'm not allowing my aliveness to uh be greater to come online more so yeah but that hasn't been my experience you might want to notice where that comes out of your mouth <laughs> right you're holding and, and i love you pointed out and i really want to emphasize this the reason this is so important that it starts with you is because just like people trying to tell Tamara that she is attractive, nobody can convince you 
of the, the lie that you believe to be true. They cannot change that for you. You have to nope. actually, you have to step into that, which is the vulnerability with yourself. To, are you willing to say, I might be wrong here? There might be a different possibility that I have been refusing is possible. Are, are we willing to say that within ourselves? Because I have been in relationships, I have witnessed relationship dynamics where there is a convincing energy or a, a forcing energy going on, and it is because the person refuses to be vulnerable with themselves enough to say, I might be fighting for my limitations <laughs> because they're so busy saying, I don't like your tone of voice. I don't like your body language. There's no way in hell that what you're saying is true because I have the, all this proof inside of me. So I'm going to fight you on everything else that I can possibly fight so that I never have to be vulnerable enough to look at the fact that I'm living a lie and that I don't mm -hmm. want to receive anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I and the question just popped up in the chat room. What if you what if you try to explore a possibility and then it reinforces your belief? Mm-hmm. Oh, so interesting. So interesting. And I have had people uh ask me that question before and generally in a, a you know, it'll come up in a coaching session or something where I'm like, All right, well let's explore that. Let's take that apart. It's sort of like the uh Let's do an autopsy on that experience. <laughs> right. Because, because we don't realize how tricky we are in, in going about reinforcing that belief. The, the, mm -hmm. the reinforcement, I, I'm, I'm going to challenge and say the reinforcement actually never comes from outside. It comes from in our reality. It is, I shared this uh, yesterday, I think, where I sat in a friend's basement for, uh, you know, sobbing uncontrollably, snot running down my face, <laughs> try, in this moment of do I trust this new possibility, which seemed terrifying to me, or do I go back to, to the safety of the lie, even though the lie was incredibly painful, even the lie, even though the lie was killing my aliveness. And, and we are so sneaky I mean, it is very courageous to trust the possibility. And, and if, you, if we are a person who has uh, made others greater, I asked this a little while, in, uh, a little while ago in the chat room, um, where have you allowed somebody to manipulate you into believing that you are wrong in some way that now you refuse to actually believe, to, to re receive the possibility that you're not? And mm. um, so it, this is this is a fascinating moment of time to be in in that in that moment where you're like, do I really trust that this is, or do I use this experience to reinforce my story? And if we have made the other person, if we're if this happens to be a situation where I'm engaging with another person, and if I have made that other person greater than me in any way, if I have made their <laughs> points of view greater than mine, if I have made them more significant, more relevant, if I have subjected myself to them in any way, shape, or form, then the likelihood that I'm just going to use that experience to reinforce my wrongness is pretty darn high. Because this is the thing. Most people are not quite ready to claim their own reality, to be the sovereign of their reality, to not diminish themselves in the face of somebody else's point of view or uh, somebody else's perspective or opinion of you you know, most people, the moment the judgment or the threat of rupture of a relationship or the moment that somebody's, um, you, can, you can feel that they're about to withdraw their care or affection or attention or love from you, we cave. We cave. Right. And we're not, we're not ready to be like, you know what? Your point of view is not relevant to me. We're not quite ready to do that. Now, again, I'm kind of going big picture here, and this is something that we're going to be talking about over the course of the next few uh, days, weeks, um, as we explore this intimacy vulnerability thing. But that's, that's, that's total intimacy. When I, when I have total intimacy with me, no matter what's happening out there, somebody's trying to, you know, give me some horseshit line, and I'm just like, mm, nope, not relevant to me. Not true for me. I'm claiming my reality. I'm not going to make what you say more relevant than what I know. And mm -hmm. that is a courageous place to live, and that requires total intimacy with you, vulnerability with you. 
absolutely. You know, it's very interesting. I, we have, my wife and I, Sherry, we have a very diverse group of friends, politically, religiously, very diverse, okay? And if I didn't know where I stood, it would be very mm. easy to be swayed to all their points of view. They are great at sharing their point of view about, you know, it doesn't matter what the topic is. It's very easy to be swayed unless I know where I'm standing. If I'm just a feather in the wind and they want to blow me over here or I'm irritating them so they blow me away from them, that's easy to happen. But if I just go, well, I'm really flexible and I'm light on my feet. I'm not like, you know, in quicksand and concreted in the rightness of where I'm at, then I can kind of maneuver all different points of view and still know my clarity. I can say, really? Okay, so I can see where you're coming from. It doesn't mean I'm going to choose it. It doesn't mean I'm going to buy it. It doesn't mean I'm going to live according to it. But I can observe what it is that you're showing or saying or what you're passionate about. And it doesn't define me. But I got mm-hmm. to know where I am and what I want in my life and what I'm choosing in order to have that kind of clarity. Because otherwise, I am just, I'm getting bashed around by so many different points of view, and I feel at the effect of them. This vulnerability, this intimacy with ourselves to know just what it is about us opens up so much more awareness. Because we've, we've talked about the negative side, but I'll tell you, there, there is some um, getting really intimate with myself and being vulnerable enough to go, what, show me what I am not aware of here that actually really revealed some great things that were being used to trick me and manipulate me, and I was buying them. I wasn't willing to Mm. see anything other than kindness in people that it was not kindness. Why? Because I was avoiding the rupture of the relationship. So it's Mm -hmm. not always revealing the negative. Sometimes we got to see the kindness that isn't what it truly is. But we've got to know that with ourselves. Ourselves, we have to start with us. Yeah, and, I, and I'm so grateful for the conversation that's going on in the chat room. So what was brought up was, you know, where a person treats you a certain way and you hope they aren't going to do it again, and then they do. Guess what? We're allowing that, and I know it's a tough one to confront that we're actually the one that's creating that. I did it for decades, decades and decades and decades. I, people, you know, I would end up in situations where I felt like I was at the wrong end of manipulation over and over and over and over and over. And believe me, I didn't like it and I complained about it. And I didn't realize I was the source of that. I was the one that was allowing that to happen over and over and over and over and over. And it's, it's really amazing that, you know, when you, when you start looking at what does this person have that I believe I can't live without, that I allow myself to continue to be, um, uh, put in a position of uh, dishonor. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's generally, and we, we haven't gone into this particular topic yet of honor, but I'm dishonoring myself when right. I allow somebody to continue to put me in a position where they're, like, they're constantly dishonoring me. They're constantly dishonoring me. I'm just taking it. And it's, yeah. it's, that's one of those things that, you know, sometimes stops us from willing, the willingness to be vulnerable with ourselves is because, like, we don't want to really recognize that. We want to keep pointing the finger and saying, they're doing that to me. And the thing is, mm-hmm. nobody dishonors me anymore because I don't dishonor myself. And, right. And uh, uh, on, the, on the rare, rare, rare occasion where something might show up like that, I don't, I feel very confident now and calling them on it. So, so right. for example, if somebody goes to judge me, it could just be a simple little judgment, right? I, just, I can just, in that moment, in a very kind way, say, you know what? I don't judge myself, and you don't get to either. And that's yeah. it. That's now, if the person wants to continue to, to play that game, um, I may not choose, because here's the thing. I don't, have to, I don't have to separate. I don't have to, like, kick them to the curb and kick them out of my life and be like, you're so fucking wrong for judging me. I don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. 
I can just I can just actually share with them and say, you know what? It doesn't feel good when you continue to project or whatever it is that they're doing. It really doesn't feel good. And I love you, and I want you to be a part of my life, and I'm likely to not want to choose to spend as much time with you if that continues. But how much vulnerability right. does it take to be able to say that? Right. Yeah, absolutely. And <laughs> it takes so much vulnerability to be willing to say this no longer works for me the way it is and I'd like to make changes. It takes vulnerability because it might rupture the relationship. They might have a tantrum. They might attack you back. Whatever it is, because whether you stay in that dynamic or nothing is willing to change on either part or whatever, and you do end up walking away, that's a vulnerable choice to make knowing the gossip that can ensue, the, you know, the spite and mean hatefulness, all of that. That's a real possibility. Yes, it sure can. And are you willing to choose you and love you? Are you willing to be true and honoring of your aliveness even if it means that somebody leaves your life or, a, you know, a family member's upset or friendship or whatever that is, are you willing to choose you first? Or do you have a limit of I'll choose myself up until it gets this uncomfortable and then I'm going to back off and, and I'll let somebody else be more important than me? Mm-hmm. That's where I think we need to get real with ourselves, which requires that we get vulnerable because it is opening ourselves up to this might hurt and I'm still going to honor me. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I, yep. I appreciate the comment in the chat room. I have a Pollyanna need or ideal of a sister, and that is what keeps circling back around to the abuse cycle. And I'm just saying that. That's my own attachment of a word to it. it when we have the illusion that we're buying into of what a relationship should look like, we are not willing to acknowledge the dynamic we are actually experiencing and make a choice based on that. Yeah. I I would say that pretty much I've not met a person yet who hasn't let someone in their lives define them. I haven't met a single person yet who hasn't had let at least one person in their life define you. And for me, um, it was my, it was my father. And yeah. and so what ended up happening was he he was the power role in our in our in my uh, you know family of origin right my mom was yeah. uh, at the effect of him and and so we all sort of were like oh well that's how you do it you live at the effect of my dad my father um, yeah. men in yeah. general and so I allowed men to define me for most of my life really up until the last few years and I was like oh let's pop that bell. <laughs> Um, and so rather than trust what we know, what is true for us, we're always looking, making ourselves relative, relative, like I was always checking myself relevant to my, my father, my father's points of view about who I should be, how I should be, what I should be, when I should be, where I should be. Literally, I was constantly checking in. It's, it's like, well, what would my father think? Well, what would my father want me to do? Well, what would, like, what would men? And, and then, it, you know, as I, as I moved out of his house, and then it just became mm-hmm. men in general position in life was relative to men and I was constantly checking in am I right relative to men and their point of view of who I should be and how I should be and what I should be and so forth and I constantly did that I allowed their point of view to define me until I didn't and this is the key right I mean this is everything we're talking about it's it's how we live until we don't and and what's what's that moment that like I'm this I, I live like this until I don't that's where we allow ourselves to look at how we're functioning and recognize is how I'm functioning actually creating more aliveness in my world or less is right. how I'm functionally actually allowing me to live joyfully or miserably. So if I'm constantly checking in to see who I am and how I am and where I am and what I am relative to men, then that's keeping me living at the effect of men forever. And I did, I lived at the effect of the, of men until, uh, it was it was really my my divorce ten years ago that kind of had every like all my delusions sort of blew up in one big giant uh, big bang and then I was like okay I got to put this back together 
<laughs> I'm going to put my life yeah. together. Talking about being in shock. I was in shock after my, my ex-husband decided to leave our marriage. And, um, and so one of the things that I recognized at that, at that time was like, holy shit, I've been living at effective men my whole life. I would like to change that. Now, it didn't happen overnight because I actually had to do the excavatory work within myself to see everywhere I was doing that. And I mean everywhere. I've had, right. and, I, and I'm still discovering, I'm like, oh, look, still making myself the effect of men right here in this little tiny way. So it's a process of liberation. Liberation to me equals aliveness. Every single time I choose to liberate myself from a lie, I am more and more and more alive. And here's the thing. The more I choose to liberate myself from lies, the less and less and less I need the compensatory strategy of control. Safety is no longer appealing. I'm willing to go live uh, my life wild, free, abandoned, because I trust myself. I trust myself. I know I don't need to control everything. I don't need the safety and protection of judgment. Everything has changed. Everything has changed. Right. Here's what I would say this, this brings up for me. There's a question in the chat room of where do you start? Where do you start yeah. with the self-intimacy? And if I were to say where did I need to start, looking back, taking time to reflect and go, what was actually the beginning? And that was I just really thought to myself, what if I'm wrong about everything? Would I be willing to be wrong? That's where I started because I had to stop thinking that being wrong was a bad thing. It just meant to me, if I'm wrong about something, I have a new choice to make. That's all it was. I had to debug and take the power out of being wrong because it was something I resisted. It was something I was embarrassed about. If I was wrong, I had shame about it. And so I would say I was on this thing of like, I'm okay to be wrong with that. You know, well, you know, I put sugar and cream in my coffee and I could be wrong. Maybe I want to change that. And I kind of went over that really ad nauseum for myself so that the word wrong would lose its charge for me. Just like when I was afraid of being a bitch, I called myself a bitch nonstop until I just bitch became a funny word to me. And now if somebody calls me a bitch, I'm like, oh, (laughs) you know, it doesn't, doesn't even really stop me. And so I, I really get curious about that because when I was willing to stop letting my fear of being wrong to not have that control me anymore, then I was able to start seeing where I was lying to myself. I was able to start recognizing where I was disempowering, where I was giving my power away, where I was living at the effect of others. But I had to be willing to even consider there was another possibility. And I had to go all the way. I couldn't just go, yeah, is there another possibility? Because I would, even looking at possibilities, I was still avoiding being wrong. So I had to dive into being okay with being wrong and not having it define me. And so that's what I would say. Mm. That was my first step. And I used uh, universe, show me everywhere I'm lying to myself. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I asked the question because here's here's what I've discovered is everything that I've ever asked for whenever I'm like all right I give up I surrender I don't know how to do this like I I can't Uh control this into um into effective you know living I I can't I I I literally realized that every compensatory strategy I had ever come up with wasn't working and so I was asking for help I was like okay show me. Show, I'm so good at my lying to myself. Show me everywhere I'm lying to myself. And every time yeah. I've asked for assistance, I get it every single time. And the vulnerability piece, this is why it's so key, because if I'm not willing to be vulnerable, then I'm not actually going to be, I won't allow myself to see what the universe is showing me and offering me. Like the universe, you know, God, life, whatever you want to call it, it's, it'll give you whatever you want. It yields to your request. But if you sit there in your right. fortress of protection, I had this, I had this image uh, of, uh, of me as a little kid standing outside a, a, an old castle, right? Remember they had the moat and they had the drawbridge right. and all that? 
and and I had this uh, this image the other day of me standing there on the um, you know the 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 draw the the capture the fortress is all closed up and I'm standing there like knocking on it going hello hello I'm on the outside trying to get in I'm like hello anybody there but but if we're going to be on the inside of that right. Right. So you're on the inside of that fortress. You got you got the moat, you got the drawbridge, you got the whole protection going on, and the universe is standing there, standing there. It, the universe is literally offering to you everything that would that would allow your life to change in the way that you desire it, and you're mm-hmm. so fortressed up inside there that you're like, I, I what what are you talking about? So this is the vulnerability piece that says, okay, I'm going to open up even just the littlest bit to be willing to receive what I haven't yet allowed myself to be willing to receive. And that's often knowledge yeah. and information about, I mean, you, you, there's already been awareness in the chat room here as we're talking today. It's like, oh, wow, yeah, I let my sister define me. Yeah. Oh, wow, I let my father define me. Define me. Oh, wow, I let my mother define me. I let my, my husband define me. I let somebody defined me somewhere yeah. somewhere along the way i allowed somebody else to make me wrong <laughs> what if you didn't look at yourself through their eyes what could you see yeah. what could you be aware of so yeah I, the, the vulnerability piece is is key to allowing yourself to receive this new information yes it really is because if whatever we're resisting and pushing against we are fully engaged with it has our attention. Yeah. It has our attention. And so what if you quit resisting and just let it be a piece of information? Like, you know, when you have the, a thermostat set in your home and just a temperature change, one, and all of a sudden it'll click and on comes the heat or the air conditioning, whatever it is. Well, what if we didn't make it any more significant than something floats by and we choose arena turn on or not and not make it any more significant than that. But in order to do that, we have to be vulnerable enough to be, to not make being right or wrong so significant that it is worth shutting ourselves inside of that fortress of protection. Yeah. That to me and, is, and let is go. such an invitation. Totally, and loosen your grip on the truth, the truth, the factual yeah. nature of this information and these stories you've been telling yourself. Um, that's, a, that's a big piece. You have to really be like, okay, I'm willing to allow that something else is possible here. I'm willing to allow that this, these are not facts, that these are not hard facts, that there's something else right. I could be aware of that's actually more true that will allow me, allow me to become more alive when I explore that possibility. Absolutely. Wow. We breezed through this show. <laughs> yep. yep. Yeah. So <laughs> come over. Yeah. Come over to Facebook to our Seducing Aliveness page and comment. Let us know your thoughts on the show. Any questions you have, that kind of thing, because there's so much more to talk about this, which is why this topic is going to roll into the next few shows. But be sure you come back tomorrow because we are talking about the seductive invitation of allowance. And boy, does vulnerability play into that. So we invite you back tomorrow to the live show and, you know, keep, keep showing up. Keep asking. Universe, show me what I'm not aware of. Universe, show me. Mm-hmm. That's where the magic yep. of change <laughs> is, is being vulnerable enough to, you know, just – Allow change to take place. Be done by aliveness. <laughs> well, and you know, yep. this is probably another show. I know we have what seconds left or something, but um, yeah, the control, <laughs> right? The the controlling of what I've decided is truth and what's not truth. What if we were let, willing to let that and let life show us what is true? Oh. Hmm. Let's end on that juicy note. Thanks, Tamara. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, everybody. (laughs) Bye-bye.